0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, I'm Carl Christopher and welcome to For the Love of Hip Hop. This is the show where we invite guests to speak to us about what made them fall in love with hip hop. In the show, guests will give us their insights into the key records, places, Spaces, people and objects that shaped and influenced the taste in hip-hop culture. In the first season, I'll interview the first generation of hip-hop heads. Those who directly experienced the hip-hop genre, storming and forming its way into the cultural landscape. Now, the most prominent music genre across the globe. Hip-hop is here to stay. And we, you, love it. What we're going to do right here
1: is go back. Way back, back into time. My guest for
0: the show is the photographer Paul H. Paul first picked up his canon camera while studying GCSE photography at Richmond upon Thames College. A few years later he emerged as a music photographer, working for independent jungle label Sarah Records, and soon progressed to be hip-hop connection magazine principal photographer, shooting many front covers. Paul's prolific work rate made him a recognisable face among hip-hop clubs and concerts across London and beyond. His camera captured the images of virtually every major international and UK hip-hop artist. As one of the music industry's go-to photographers, Paul has worked as the official photographer for Jay-Z and Beyonce at the Royal Abbott Hall. Charity balls for Alicia Keys, and a perfume launch for Mariah Carey. His work has appeared in every national newspaper, including a cover for the Time Saturday magazine featuring Will Smith. He continues to work regularly for a range of clients, including the Royal Television Society. However, Paul still feels more at home when working with hip-hop royalty.
1: For the love of hip-hop.
0: Paul. Whoa, <laughs> yes. Welcome Hi, to For Thank the you. Love of Hip Hop.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, good to be here, thanks.
0: And full disclosure, Paul and I go back, I, Paul and I go back to uh, back college days back. and we uh, promoted gigs together in, in yeah. um as student union, ENTS officers and managers, uh, etc.
2: Exactly, the gardening club, heaven, yeah, loving days.
0: So how are you doing?
2: Yeah, no, really good, really good. H Paul
0: H. What does the H stand for? Uh,
2: okay, so in my upcoming book, when when it finally arrives, will be called H is for Hip Hop, because that's the name by which I'm known within the hip hop scene here and uh, and um, and also before photography, it was my DJ name. Um, you might remember me DJing in college parties. And uh, I also had a little sound system and used to uh, do mobile parties around my way. But um, it actually stands for Hampart Sumian. My surname's is Hampart Sumian. It's an Armenian name. That's my heritage from my grandfather. And um, But obviously it's a bit of a mouthful for many people. So Paul H is a user-friendly version, which uh, I'm, I'm quite happy to be known by it has a slight hip-hop side to it from a time when you had Derek V and uh, many other people using first-name letters uh, as their monikers. It's
0: a cool moniker. <laughs> so I know you as a hip-hop head, someone who loves hip-hop, um, but what is your musical taste before hip-hop?
2: Well, as a kid... Like I was born in the seventies, and there was no hip hop in this country in the seventies, and um, so it was it was pop music. It was top of the pops. It was it was Capital Radio. Um, we used to have and and yeah, Thursday nights. My brother and I would put on the telly and literally dance off the, around the living room, or off, or off the sofa, jumping off the sofa, just having fun, enjoying music. Like it was it was a. It was an early love of music, and um, uh, until hip hop came along, and yeah. And,
0: and was there any particular form of music on top of the pots, Any genre which stood out for you?
2: There, there wasn't. It was just um, whatever we liked, really. I mean, to, pop music has always been a sort of a. a all music at at a superficial level. It was almost like um, entry level for for different genres. So whether it it was um, sort of rock or um, dance music, well, dance music also is quite new, but like you had all these different types of music of which you'd get a taste uh, in pop music. And I long ago put aside my musical snobbery that people sometimes develop as they get into a genre. Um, and I have no problems with pop music. I think it's, it's a beautiful thing in the way that it connects, uh, universally like, um, like we can, we can, you and I can connect over a Nas record because we're into the scene, but that record's meaningless to, to, to a wider audience. But pop music by definition it's popular, um, reaches much larger um, numbers of people and and it's just a lovely thing to see
0: what were your early memories of experiencing hip-hop and what were the first hip-hop records that you fell in love with
2: okay so before i knew it as hip-hop okay so one of the earliest things i remember was um and i can't remember the order exactly but i remember the show by dougie fresh and i remember everyone in school Knowing all the lyrics and, and us sort of singing it and whatever. And the same with la Dar da which was the B-side. And um, uh, and so we loved that so much. And obviously they had, a, they had a, a sample from a cartoon, The Inspector Gadget, in there, which made it fun for kids. I mean, and I think, did it, it may, was it, I don't know if it was, not, it was probably top ten, I'm sure, crossed over into mainstream charts.
1: No, 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 we what, 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 didn't. What? No, we didn't well, don't get us wrong Excuse me, Duggie Excuse me, Duggie Excuse me, Duggie, For they <laughs> oh, oh, oh.
2: <laughs> And, uh, so there was that And then we had other influences Like the Ready Wreck advert Had the, the kids body popping all the way to school Um, and we were into BMX as well at that time And, um uh, and the Green Cross code. I mean, I heard, "Don't push me. Uh, Don't step out when you're close to the edge." Before I heard before I heard the message right so we were all being given public information messages by the government no left can you believe it the and, government promoted hip-hop and
0: some very swiss advertising agency
2: yeah yeah but <laughs> the, so in a way the 18s saw the government promoting the hip-hop uh in that and but that hooked to my interest so when i heard melon now um, I was like, wow, that's the track from the Green Cross Code advert. <laughs> and But then listening deeper and more carefully to the message was a completely different thing because that, the social documentary uh, for Black America and the ghetto, uh, it painted a picture that we did not see as kids at that time. So that was a completely new thing. And then when he came with White Lines, and um, the the message, the, the anti-drugs message in that, and um, what it and, and the politics. Was, athletes rejected, governors corrected, gangsters, thugs, and smugglers are thoroughly respected. I mean, that's just.
1: I, I I've got goosebumps
2: just just saying that.
1: trying not to lose my head. <laughs> it's like a jungle sometimes it makes me wonder how I keep from going under.
0: So your musical choices um reflect to a degree hip hop finding its voice within its form, its many voices within its form and also how it penetrated the young hearts and minds of the youth audience in the UK. How did you discover the other elements of hip hop, such as the uh, let's say graffiti, fresh clothing, break dancing?
2: And breaking was hard to find, right? We had um, so I'm trying to think where where we saw break. So uh, I remember Chucka Khan. Oh uh, no, King Love and Pride. The video had breakers in it. Um, so that was a pop song. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there was Blondie had Rapture, and she had. Um, uh, she, rapp- she rapped in it. Fab Five Freddy told me everybody's fly. DJ's spinning up, then my flash is fast. So she's referencing Grandmaster Flash mm-hmm. and Fab Five Freddy. We didn't know who they were back then. So I've learned all that since. i tell you another thing about Freddy. Obviously this is all new knowledge I've gained since that Fab Five Freddy was the first one to put the, the four elements of B-boy and DJ and turntablism and MC under the banner of hip-hop in a village voice interview and so all of those different cultural um things were happening at that time and he wrote them and then bam bata obviously took it and ran with it with his uh because he was doing his whole zulu thing and his parties. yeah so new york obviously um I didn't have any connection with and, and unless, uh, unless of course you count the music but um, from our experience in London Artful Dodger the graph writer did the Weetabix billboard ads in a graph style. I was at school we got subway art uh, and studied that book and we were all, everyone had a tag. On our school books, we were tagging our school books. We were all breaking. I, uh, we were all getting into the fashion. I wanted the high top, high techs and, um, and, and the baggy trousers and all, all of this stuff. There was the fashion, the music, the b-boying. We, none of us were DJs because we couldn't afford the, the equipment. But um, we, were, we were all we all tried to scratch with our mum's record player and, and, and do it, which never worked. I, I, I
0: remember that never quite worked because we didn't understand the different green belt to drive turntables. We, know, <laughs> we knew nothing.
2: I was like, how come when they do it, it sounds cool? When I do it,
0: <laughs> yeah. And then your so, mum goes, "What are you doing? My records?"
2: Exactly. But this is the shared experience that that our generation had, and and it was it was mainstream. It was, um, but the thing that really, really solidified hip hop as my interest was Beat Street the movie, because when Beat Street came out, um, I went to see it. We, we I was a kid again um, at Richmond Cinema. We saw Beat Street, and that was it. It was just because that in that movie, if, uh, I'm sure you've seen it, but it brings together all the elements, and uh, I, know, I know that some people were say oh Wildstar was the one and blah 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 but Wildstar wasn't the one that I saw right for me it was Beatrice and to this day right you say a lyric or a line from the script of that movie I'll tell you what comes next because I knew the whole script starts at finish um and um,
0: could you recite a key line
2: yeah what's the big deal about eating oatmeal when all I feel is tired for real and my raps too quick my tongue too slick my gallant talent like a magic trick and then the mum says Eat your eggs, while I break your leg. <laughs> <laughs> and that's to Kenny um, when they're sitting at the table, and uh, he's dreaming of being a, a big time DJ at the Roxy, and da da da. And so this was teaching us about New York as well, because there was so much I learned about New York from that movie, and and the Bronx, and the, the burnt out buildings, and the scenery, and uh, the, the, like and the landlord. There's a line in the way he talks about the landlord torching the building for the. For the insurance and this is all real. This was happening. So it was documented in that film for us and, and the subways and, and the trains and the tracks and which is the live rail. And it's just, it, we soaked up that education, right? And, 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 and it, like when you're right and you don't need a drip and you don't go over, you don't go over, um, uh, phase two and it was, it, that that was our education. I'll tell you what happened we saw that film in the cinema obviously I didn't learn every word from seeing it once but um, when it came out on VHS uh, my mum used to take us to Golden Hour video stores to rent a video every weekend we were allowed to rent a film and it was a, a pound or a couple of pounds for a, a night or for the weekend and as soon as that came out we, we rented that the next week what do you want to rent Beat Street but you saw that last week no we want to watch it again and we literally we rented it out every week for for, for months. We, we we could have bought it. <laughs> um, and do, you, do you now own it? I hope you I, do. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got I got a Blu-ray of it, and um, so I'd say that was the single most important influence. But there were there were two other big influences as well: Beat Street Breakdown, which was Melly Mel obviously at the end uh, in the big show. And uh, again the politics uh he's talking about probably children in Africa don't even eat, flies on the faces, they're living like mice and the houses and make the ghetto look nice. The water tastes funny, it's forever too sunny, and the workforce don't make no money. Uh, and I oh, could go on and on and on. It's it's, it's all very conscious um commentary uh, on the world. Uh, but that's not a man,
1: man, extra extra read all the bad news on the wall great empire the sound of the whole world caught on fire the ruthless struggle the desperate gamble, the game that left the whole world in shambles the cheats the lies the alibis and the foolish attempt to conquer the skies lost in space
2: When you when you said fresh, fresh, Because that would be a word. That was the word. Fresh,
0: fresh, fresh, fresh is
2: not a word that was used until um, and, and there was even the song in the song in the Fresh, 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 I certainly wasn't buying albums back then, Like We were getting music through TV and radio. Now, we discovered pirate radio. Now, it started off, it was laser five, five, eight, uh, they were the which had no adverts and it was just constant music. But when I found LWR, and LWR, you are, you are, you are <laughs> ninety
0: two point five.
2: Exactly, yeah, you were there. So, but when I discovered that, and there was a DJ on there playing hip hop every day by the name of Tim Westwood, um, we were getting that fix. It uh, was hard to find anywhere else. It was because we got the odd bit on top of the pots and a little bit here and there, but it, you had to hunt it down, and it, it was hard to find. So LWR was just amazing because we were every day there was new hip hop, um, and I've still got tapes. I've got an amazing tapes of the, um, the Cookie Crew live at the Wag Club. Um, rapping to Planet Rock in you know, a rap championship and they were incredible and this is what 83, 84, something like that and, um, and on the same tape Fat Boys live at the WAG and um, and also there's Run DMC doing live at the Funhouse. So Westwood was playing all of these joints in the early 80s and, and he would talk about the scene. He was talking about, because he had a I remember him talking about, he had a column in Blues and Soul called Zulu Message. Now I never actually read it or bought it. I never saw the magazine, but he would say I'm going to name all the breakbeats. If anyone has got a problem, let me know because once it starts, it won't stop. And I've still got the tape. That we recorded that. I, I mean, I wonder if, if, that, if those recordings exist anywhere because, um, <clears throat> the, being a pirate station, they probably weren't recording their output like the BBC would. So, um, and also being a pirate, the, the reception was unreliable. So it can cut out halfway through or it can crackle and like, and well, one day you just can't find it because the DTI has raided the studio. <laughs> um, and so, there were there were lots of pirates there was jfm kiss fm was a pirate back then but i was listening to lwr and um uh, so that was uh the beat street uh lwr westwood and then the other thing was uh a friend of mine had uh, a couple of the electro tapes morgan Kahn street sounds compilations which were compilations of electro hip-hop and um one in particular that I loved because it had one of my favourite records was Electro 3, had Nucleus jam on it, jam on it that that was our yes Um, for for, for Breaking that was one of our tunes that we would put on when we were practising jam
1: on it jam on it
2: let's see so 80s first first generation hip-hop um in london uh we went to all those things i've mentioned and then towards the late 80s dance music was a new thing and um the rave scene um and I kind of got into that, but at the same time, I still love the hip hop, but it wasn't, it, I wasn't seeing so much of it. And then one day I, it, it was almost overnight, I decided I'd had enough of house music and I went and I bought two albums. I bought Brand Nubian, one for all, and I bought Leaders of the New School, Future Without a Past. And they were the ones that brought me back. Um, and they, I think that must have been about '91. So, I, I, so all the early mid '80s, I've been into hip hop. The late '80s is more into the house dance thing. And also, the disconnect between house. It, there, were, there was a relationship between house and hip hop. They were they were closely related at that time here. Um, like in the raves, you'd have one room playing house and one room playing hip hop, and sometimes you get a bit of both. Hip hop, like King yeah. B, backed by Dope Demand, Jungle Brothers did it, "I'll House You" on their yeah. first album, right? So it's not like they were so far apart, but they did diverge. Uh, the scenes did kind of separate, and then when I got back into it, like I say, brand new, this leaves the new school. That, that brought me back and I was loving it and from there into Wu-Tang N.A.S., big gig. oh man
1: oh man oh man oh man, oh, man. yo 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 I can't understand why the parents and the teachers the kids, OK.
0: Okay. So following on from your hip-hop renaissance, what record, what albums were you buying at that time and from that era? what would you say are your hip-hop loves
2: album wise future without Parts and one for all i was into those but apart from that i was mainly buying singles because i was buying to dj right you can't dj with album tracks mm. They're not the pressings aren't usually loud enough so i was just buying 12s um and imports were expensive too so a lot of the time i'd be waiting for the uk release unless it was something i really loved uh and uh, i mean we talked about this not uh, a little while ago um Tower Records The Basement because they had all kinds of mad imports and I bought Planet Rock 12 because I'd known that from 10 years prior but uh, I never owned the 12 but I got that in Tower and Al Mafish which was one one of the tracks on the on the Electro albums I got that in Tower Records and that was an import yeah there were no albums I I suppose one album I loved and listened to a lot was Gangstar Moment of Truth Uh, sorry uh, I said, I, you know what, let's go back. Fear of a Black Planet, I listened to that solidly. And that was a whole... I mean, because that was... So, consciously, that was on a level with melimel Mel. Uh, and it was, it was like the melimel reborn virtually, Chuck. Um, because it, but it came much more fierce and powerful um, and fight the Power was on that album. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, okay. As albums go, Fear of a Black Planet is probably probably the one for me and again educational because loads of stuff references i didn't get in there which i've learned along the way and learned what they what they refer to and i I remember burn hollywood burn because when the la riots happened after the rodney king beating the first thing that came into my head was burn hollywood burn because the lyric he says um uh first the guilty
1: burn hollywood guilty now they're gone yeah i'll check out a movie but it'll take a black one to move
2: me first they're guilty now they're gone and that was what happened um uh, for the that that was the rodney king riots so um it was chuck d solidified himself as a prophet in my mind um with that record so that was a really important album
0: for you what were the most significant places to experience hip hop? And do you have any particular memories of those places?
2: So, the thing I remember about going to Subterranean and gigs at Subterranea Subterranean wasn't a big venue and it was a small stage and there was a, this tiny dressing room to the side. And um, so, uh, and I saw some incredible shows there. There was uh, Fuji's, was one of the best shows I've ever seen. And it was when. Um, uh i I'd, I'd gone to the hotel, I think it was the Columbia <coughs> during the day to do some pictures with Fuji's. And um I went with Jackie Springer who was doing the interview and uh so we get shown to wherever and Lauren and Pras come along and uh and we're looking where's Wycliffe and she said, sorry guys we can't do any pictures. Um because Wycliffe's not here. we're like, what? And she's, uh, we're like, is he coming? She said, yeah. Uh, we're like, what's happened? Where is he? She said, I oh, just got held up at the airport. And I thought about it for a second and I realized something. And I said, oh yeah, his passport's expired. And her and Praz looked at each other puzzled and they look at me and she said how do you know that i said well if you look at the record cover for fuji you've got pictures of all your passports and i think his expired last week because i had the picture in my mind of his haitian passport with february 1996 um written on it and I, I, that just popped into my head and they just screamed they're like oh my god <laughs> see as she's saying to him you see what people notice they know it's everything like this
0: and so anyway oh only you would know such a detail like that <laughs> only you would know that
2: <laughs> oh yeah well um yeah they were freaked out so um we went uh, so i couldn't do any pictures at the hotel but that night we didn't know if if Clef was coming. But then he came out on the stage with his guitar and he tells everyone, "I got twenty four hours," um, and then the show starts. And at that time, apart from the Roots, the hip hop acts weren't using live bands, like, like, live instruments so much. I mean, it was the Roots and the foodies did it, but it was it was it was different to just a, a DJ or a band. And um, that was an awesome show. Um, so the thing I remember about Saturini, obviously, the, the venue, the small stage and the, the little side room and the way people would just show up Like I went to a De La Soul show and they came with Common and Most Deaf. Most Def was unknown back then and Nas just showed up and was hanging around at the back of the stage and Wycliffe was there because Fugees had done a show at the Town of Country or Forum whichever it was at the time and, and I think I've got pictures of of common and most and Dayla and Nas and Clef, like all on the same stage. I mean, imagine that. And a small venue. It's like, you know, what was it? 500, 600 capacity venue. Um, and then in that little room where I'd always try and get in after the show to do a picture, I remember doing a picture of grave diggers with Rizza. It was so cramped and it was always full of people and there were all people smoking weed and it was just, um, subterranean was special like that but the other the other element of subterranean was after the show there was no after show but everyone would hang around outside the venue talking uh, and the mcs would be rhyming and like for, i'd be there for an hour after the show like 3 a.m 4 a.m in the morning we were all out on the street um at, at the back of subterranean
0: do you have pictures from that era to put into your book?
2: Do you know what I probably did? And and I'm also the best people for to photograph at that time were the Mud family. So skinny would skinny man would always round up the crew to do a big picture, uh, which always made it fun. Because um, some it can be quite daunting going into an environment and and going up to people you don't know and asking them to do something for you. like, can I take the picture? That people probably don't realize how hard that can be and um so when you had people like that that basically made it easier it, it, it made it really enjoyable um and so have i got pictures yeah i've probably got some pictures of, of people hanging around outside subterranean after after a gig because uh, that was part of the night. There was the, there was the club, the, you'd come in the club and I'd always come real early so I could get to the front. The club was quite empty. I, I'd arrived before it was full, so I'd go in and I'd literally go up to the front so I could have a good spot because there was no pit in subterranean. You had to be there up against that bar uh, early if you wanted a good position. And I, I remember, I think it was... Uh, it was the, either naughty by nature or Snoop. I thought it was going to die because I was getting so crushed against the bar because, like. Everyone else would hold the bar with their hands, but I was holding my camera to take photos, so I couldn't separate my body from that bar. And the crowd behind were crushing against me, and I could literally hardly breathe. And I had to sort of push myself away, take a deep breath, hold my breath, start taking photos, getting knocked from side to side because it was rowdy. And like, and and I'd be terrified any time they put Onyx on because that just turned the place into a riot. If Slam came on, <laughs> they were moshing and. Like you just had to stand clear, especially with a camera.
0: Yeah, I, I remember when slam was two records to stand out for me. When people went wild was the headbanger, headbanger yeah. slam, and, then and throw slam. your guns
2: as well. Throw your gun. When they put throw your guns, I think throw your guns. I think got banned. From, uh, or maybe Slam got banned. I mean, I think there were venues that were telling the DJs, you can't play them records because the carnage it created in the club. It was, it was
0: funny, man. The it was... mosh pit before it was before the mosh pit was invented.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the rock kids have been doing it forever, but yeah, it, it was
0: different for hip hop. Yeah.
1: It was different for the hip hop scene. Rawr, rawr, like a dungeon dragon.
0: Okay, cool. Let's talk people. Is there anyone person? Or character from that era, who could be a person that solidifies themselves into the present moment that defines, well, that stands out and defines hip hop for you.
2: Buster, Buster, all day, Buster Rhymes was there. Uh, like as I mentioned before, 1991, this this the new school. That was one of the things that brought me back into the hip hop scene. So I was a fan right then. And then seeing um, uh, obviously him doing the, the uh, remixes with people um, and the scenario, and then the anticipation for his solo project and Wuha came and uh, sort of heard that roadline. line. So 1997. He came over for Carnival, same year as EPMD and Jay-Z and Think Lil' Kim. And uh, so I went to the Royal Garden Hotel to do some pictures, obviously very excited. Um, I still have some pictures of Jay, Dame, EPMD and Buster all together on the steps of the Royal Garden Hotel of Kensington. But I went with Buster over to Kensington Gardens to do some photos. So first we did a couple in the hotel underneath a little spot. And um, I used one of those pictures for a postcard in 98, I think it was, for an exhibition I did. But then we went to the park. Um, so I'm doing some pictures where I, I lay on the ground and he's leaping over me with all his locks flying. And, and, um, and he, was, he was svelte and uh, athletic at that time. Um, and I got some really cool pictures. And then I point to Kensington Palace and I said to him, that's where Princess Diana lives. This is 97, this is when she's still around. Um, and it's August bank holiday, so it's carnival weekend, and uh, and he's like, really? A word? Or and he he ran over to Kensington Palace, right? And he grabbed hold of the gates and he started rattling the gates, uh, shouting, "Bring out the princess!" Like this. So
0: obviously in that started. in that gnarly buster voice
2: basically you did, 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 can you imagine the picture seeing buster run with the hairs shouting rattling the gates. if she was in she was terrified but still i i obviously take photos hoping maybe she'll come out <laughs> but no um she doesn't come out but the police do
1: <laughs>
2: wow and um they come over and they're like what are you doing sir <laughs> and, uh, I'm like, ah, we're just taking some pictures for a magazine. They're, they're like, they're looking really puzzled. And they're like, you can't do that here, sir. <laughs> <I'm> like, okay. <laughs> so we go on and, uh, so anyway, that was that was a lot of fun. And he is one of my favorite and one of the best people to photograph because like he's full of expression and uh, one of my favorite MCs too uh, and favorite live performer I mean, all round, he's an incredible artist. He's creative. He's he's skilled. He's got hits for days. He does an amazing live show. He's great to photograph. So anyway, a few years ago now, like um, literally like 2017, 18, I can't remember. I get contacted by a friend who works for Monster Energy Drink, um, and they've got this drink that's big in Eastern Europe called Burn, right? And they they've signed a deal with Buster Rhymes to promote this drink, right? And they need pictures for the outdoor campaign in Poland and Russia and I can't remember where else. So they're like, are you interested? And I'm like, yeah, how much do I have to pay? <laughs> um, but not quite. Like, they literally, they took me to New York to do a shoot with Buster for this campaign. And um, we we hire Milk Studios, amazing studio in New York City. And um, we get there early. And, and the thing is, up until the day it's on it's off it's on it's off we, we're not sure that the uncertainty is there it's pure hip-hop right <laughs> because hip-hop's unpredictable uncertain and uh, and exciting so i'm there and we're, we're still not sure if it's going to happen but uh, then we get a call that they're coming but they're supposed to be doing a, an interview on video we have a video guy with us luke biggins and um They're supposed to do the interview, but they're supposed to bring a a journalist and and they tell the monster, uh, the girl from Monster, that the journalist isn't coming. And so she hangs up the phone. She said, oh, you're going to have to do the interview. And I'm like, what? I'm doing a photo shoot. And they're like, yeah, but you know best (laughs) you're doing the interview as well. So uh immediately I'm brain I'm trying to think about how I'm gonna do the shoot and what I want to do with the in the shoot, right? Because it's a big job, it's an important job. Uh but then I have to think about this too, and I've got no time to prepare. So get some questions together. So anyway, sit down when he arrives, and we do the interview, and the interview was just just so amazing. It was. It was not long after Fife had passed, um, and um, so he. I, I I asked him. So
0: uh, it's pretty recent, man.
2: Yeah, yeah, recent, recent. I what, what year was that? 2017, 18. Can't, I can't remember. Um, and oh, oh, sorry, I missed a bit. Prior to me going to New York, I had to have a telephone conversation with Buster about the shoot, and I mentioned to him that I'd done the shoot with him in '97, uh, and he remembered it. I said, "Really?" And he's like, "Yeah, that's the only time I did pictures there." And so that was, that was nice that he remembered that um, that photo shoot. Um, and so anyway, when I'm doing the interview with him, I'm talking, we, we talk about the history, we talk about scenario remix, we talk about the Jamaican influence and dance hall and, uh, and, and how that incorporates in his live show. And, and I, I was thinking about, I, I said, I asked him what his connections to the UK were because I know, I'd heard that he had family in the UK and uh, he said yeah yeah um I got family up in Morecambe right north of England I think it is and near Liverpool and and he said and, and during the school holidays my mum used to send me and my brother to Morecambe for the school holidays so I'm thinking a young buster rhymes near Liverpool this is so random and uh and I said okay so that, that that's 80s right so I remember the 80s, and the hip-hop was hard to find. What were you listening to? And he said, we were listening to Wham! and Boy George. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was cracking up, right? I mean, I think he was still into the hip-hop scene, but it was true. You couldn't just turn on the TV or the radio and listen to it. I mean, in London, we had pirates, but in, in Liverpool... And George. George Michael could rap.
1: Uh, wham! Rap! <laughs> Don't ever disrespect, the Buster up in the play. For the love of Hip Hop, for the love of Hip Hop, for the love of Hip Hop, the love of Hip
0: Hop, Hip Hop, for the love of love of Hip Hop, What single object, um, item, best for you symbolises your affiliation, your affinity, your love for hip-hop culture?
2: Hmm. So I take it you mean physical object? Yes. So there are plenty of obvious physical objects associated with hip-hop. Uh, specifically with the elements of hip hop, whether it's mic, turntable, uh, records, or spray cans, or, or trainers, that kind of thing. But personally, the object which has connected me with hip hop, um, throughout my whole career, and was not, was not relevant, uh, as a child, but um uh really facilitated my involvement and um uh, engrossing myself in hip hop. You can probably guess, right? <laughs> Are you gonna
0: say the one which has like captured all the I- iconic images? <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> and you've you have some very iconic images which some people may be very familiar with, mm. but could you speak on the ones so,
2: I'm going to say. So like, let, me, let, let me just uh, spell it yeah. out for anyone that hasn't hasn't guessed it. It's my camera, or, or my cameras over time as the, they have changed. But yes, that has been my access, my past, my reason, my raison d'etre, if you like, um, for being part of hip hop. Because I was never, I could never rap. I wasn't a very good DJ. My graph was pretty weak um and um but I was mediocre in 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 all of those elements I think uh and and I think I mentioned breaking earlier as well. I was never that great, I could never windmill um I, I think I' probably tried to rap, but uh it was pretty embarrassing, as you probably think when you've listened to me in this interview but um With a camera, I'm comfortable, and it it suits me to be on the uh, on uh, behind it, and uh, it means I can observe and be involved at the same time, and um, it's 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 enabled me to get close to the whole culture um, in a way that I'm not sure I would have otherwise been able to.
0: So I'm going to ask you from that Mm. two questions, Mm. two parts. First part is. Is there, as an image maker, mm. is there an image, maybe, or images, which pulled you into hip-hop culture? And if you could speak on that. And the second will be, you, as, as, some, as someone who's in touch with the culture from, uh, we'll say we'll way back from, from the 80s to now, I know you've got lots of iconic images which people will will you, the audience will be familiar with. Could you just speak on some of the images that they may have just come across? We can say that's mine. I shot that. Hmm.
2: Um, okay. So in terms of Im- images that uh, I saw. Uh, there's no standout or specific images but it was all imagery it was all um spectacle it whether it was the artful dodger weetabix ad or people breaking on top of the pops, i've mentioned these before but it it was that uh, imagery which attracted me um with the music uh, and the message—it's uh, yeah, also It's uh, images, music, message. It's, it's, it's everything. I mean, it, it, I could tell you about images I've done that I loved, um, and uh, one in particular that—that's that, one of my favourites that's never been seen, <laughs> um, because that was—that was the deal when I shot it. And uh, apologies to anyone that's listened to me do an interview before, because I have spoken about this more than once. And um, when I shot uh, Jay-Z and Nas at Royal Albert Hall and uh, was invited to the dressing room after the show and they they were standing there drinking their bottles of crude champagne and I was taking a few pictures and it it, it was literally a dozen people, if that, in the dressing room. It wasn't a big dressing room, maybe half a dozen people. And the door opens and Beyonce comes in with her video camera and Jay and Nas and John Manely and everyone around them the world arms up in the air, Beyonce's big smile on the face, and I get a wide shot of that moment, which for me was just magical for, for so many reasons. I mean them being my fa- some of my favorite artists of all time, but the, but the natural aspect of it. The, the, the intimate nature of it it was their dressing room, it wasn't on stage it was, but yeah, like I said uh, when they said, do you want to come to the dressing room it was like, you can't publish the pictures so uh, maybe that will be iconic if it gets out
0: <laughs> If it gets out in your forthcoming book <laughs> Yes Cool, cool. Paul, <laughs> thank you
1: For the love of hip hop For the love of hip hop For the love of hip hop
0: that's it for now thank you for listening for rights reasons the music is restricted on the podcast if you wish to hear an extended version of this show please head to Mixcloud find the moniker for the love of hip-hop and for a small subscription fee you'll have access to content with more music and more stories If you're happy to listen to the podcast version for free, cool, please do like, share and review. It all helps to gain recognition, which helps to produce in more content. Thank you. Bye for now.